Well, welcome everybody. I want to say hi to my mom. We're standing in front of the uh, unbelievable Biltmore Estate. We're a thousand miles from Houston on day four of our road trip. This is the third installment of our mile markers and we thought this would be the perfect location to film the mile marker that we're going to talk about today. Now we've talked about living a life bigger than yourself, loving people well. We've talked about how we see people at the Selma Bridge last week. That was amazing. And today we're going to talk about this very important mile marker of money. Mile markers are things that tell you where you are and the progress that you're making. So it's really important to understand mile markers. Now there's spiritual mile markers that we've been talking about because here's the thing, we all tend to kind of make up what we think is important to God. And God is pretty clear about here are some things that indicate where we are with Him and the progress towards maturity that we're making. And one of those things is how we view money. How we view money. The reason this is so important is because how we view money dictates the direction of our life. It actually has a direct impact on how happy we feel and how content we are. And this is the perfect location for this mile marker's sermon. Because listen to this. This uh, Biltmore house was built between 1889, finished in 1895. It's currently on 8,000 acres, but originally it was on 127,000 acres. It's the largest privately owned house in the United States with 175,000 feet of living area. It was built and owned by George Vanderbilt, George Washington Vanderbilt II, and it's still owned today by his descendants. Biltmore has four acres of floor space and 250 rooms in the house, 35 bedrooms for family and guests, 43 bathrooms, 65 fireplaces, three kitchens, and a 19th century novelty called an elevator. What a unique deal. And George Washington Vanderbilt built this house out of his family's wealth. And unfortunately, he passed away at the age of 51 and it's noted that he used most of his inheritance just to maintain this building. Can you imagine what the maintenance bill annually was for this mansion? This is a perfect mansion because we all want a bigger house, right? We all want a bigger place. And this is kind of the over a top extreme example of that. And the fact is about money kind of directed the path and the construction of this home. And money's really important to you, and it's really important to me. Listen, here's the thing. We're from different backgrounds, with different families, and we've been taught different things about money. But when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, what happens is God wants to shape our vision and our attitude toward money. If you don't have a good, proper, healthy view of money, money will corrupt your soul. Money will ruin your happiness. And so I want to take a look at this. Here's one of the things that um, Solomon, the richest man who ever lived, said about money. He says this, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, listen to this, so does those who consume them. Years ago, our church began to provide donuts every morning for people. And what we found is this, no matter how many donuts we bought, 
we ate them all. You could buy five dozen or a hundred dozen. In one year, we realized that we were spending $12,000 on donuts. And for a new startup church, that was way too much. So one day I just decided we're going to quit providing donuts, which meant we quit providing breakfast for a lot of people. It's that kind of thing Solomon is talking about. It doesn't money, matter how much money you have, you can consume it all. Many of us have read about professional athletes who have signed hundreds of millions of dollars in contracts and endorsements only to be broke five to seven years after their playing days. Because the reality is, as we gain more money, we consume more. As we gain more money, our lifestyle ticks up. So you can't ever have enough money. A famous quote by the richest man in the world one year was Howard Hughes. And he was asked, how much money is enough? And Howard Hughes said, just a little bit more. So it's always more. And that's what Solomon was saying here. So money has its limitations. It was designed for a certain thing. Money was, listen to me, money was never designed to make you happy. In fact, the things that money can buy is never designed to make you happy. Your designer, your creator created you in such a way that money would never fill the emptiness and the hole in our lives. Only he can do it. Money will not make you happy. Money is fleeting, I wrote down. Money is not fulfilling. You can be very, very wealthy and not be fulfilled in your life. Money is morally neutral. It's our perception of money. It's our perspective of money. It's our view of money. That's the problem. In fact, when Paul was writing his friend Timothy, he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money, okay? Have you ever craved money? have wandered from the truth, true faith, and pierced themselves with many sorrows. See, when money becomes the priority in our life and accumulating wealth becomes the number one thing in our life, it causes all kinds of problems. And I don't know about you, but I've often thought the answer to my problems is more money. I've got to have more money. But the reality is money doesn't solve the problems we think it does. God wants to help us in our life. He wants to provide for us. He wants to be the source for us. That's why Jesus said this. He said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? Why is it hard for somebody who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, to have a relationship with God? Well, the answer that Jesus was saying comes right after the story of the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler was, came face to face with Jesus and wanted to follow him. And Jesus knew the thing that was getting in his way was his vast wealth. So he challenged him. And he asked the rich young ruler to sell all that he had in order that he might come follow him. Now, it wasn't about being poor. It was about the things that stand in the way of us following Christ. Where the rich young ruler is reported, he went away sad. And the reason he went away sad is because he couldn't do it. 
He couldn't let go of his wealth. And if we were to number the priorities in our life, oftentimes in, in America, it's the pursuit of wealth and then God. And God wants us to flip those. He wants us to pursue him and he says he'll add things to him. Now, the reason it's hard for a rich man to go to heaven is because it's hard when we have all the things that we want and the money is coming in. It's hard for us to feel our need for God. It's hard to feel convicted that we're lacking in something when we have much. And it's hard for us to be humble because when we have a lot of money and a lot of wealth, then all of a sudden we don't feel like we need anything apart from ourselves. And Jesus knew this when he was confronting the rich young ruler and he said, sell all you have and come follow me. I read a study that said this, as a person's level of wealth increases, their feelings of compassion and empathy go down and their feelings of entitlement and self-interest go up. Sometimes when people have a lot of money, they actually act and feel like they're smarter than they actually are. They, they feel more powerful than they actually are. Wealth, wealth gives you this false sense that you're kind of a autonomous and, and you've got it all together and you, you're better than most people. And that's what Jesus is warning us about. Now, listen, Jesus isn't telling us to be poor. He's just warning us with the Apostle Paul's words to not love money. That, so well, you know what that means is your ambition and my ambition to be rich one day is not a good ambition. That's not worthy of your life that God created. That those things are added to you. In fact, here's what he says. Jesus says this in Matthew. He says, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Then. So we've got to be sure if money's going to be properly, be the proper mile marker in our life and our spiritual life, it can't be number one. I, I know you and I sit here today and we wish we had more money, we could do more things, but that's not God's plan for us. Our plan, His plan for us is to seek Him first and allow all the things that come into our life to come through His hand. When money becomes our top priority, anxiety soon follows. The ambition to be rich isn't a worthy pursuit. It's not fulfilling. And I wonder at times, is that really what the American dream is all about? Just to be wealthy, to have a big house, to, to feel important, to feel smart, to feel like we're winning instead of pursuing God who created us. Here's what Jesus goes on to says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Listen, listen to what he says. You cannot serve both God and wealth. You cannot serve both God and money. Now you think, and I, and I think we can, but we can't figure out which is most important, God or money. And Jesus knows. He knows that if we're gonna pursue money as the top priority in our life, that we're not gonna have him be our master, our leader, and our guide in life. Money and the pursuit of money will guide and direct your life. And that's the role God wants to play in your life. He, and we spend a lot of time, quite frankly, I do. I'm just speaking for myself here. We spend a lot of time asking God to give us more money. And God's not opposed to us being wealthy, but he is opposed 
to being number two in our life. He doesn't want us to be directed with the pursuit or the love of money. He wants to guide our steps. He wants to be the one who leads our life. He wants to be our good shepherd and lead his sheep. And so we have to decide the role of money and the perspective of money in our life. Is it going to be the number one thing that we pursue? Is it really the thing that we count as God's blessing? God must be blessing. Look how much money I'm making. Look how lucrative it is. Or is God the number one thing? Because here's what we know. God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So we can't judge all of God's blessing. In fact, one of the biggest curses that could happen to any of us is to become very, very wealthy. And that wealth and that love of money take over our life. Many families, many marriages, and many lives have been ruined through greed. Money has a way of putting you in a place that you never thought you'd be in. And the pursuit of money is such an unhealthy thing for your soul. And that's why Jesus is warming here. So what is the proper perspective of money? What is the mile marker of money? How does that make a difference for us? Well, here it is. We're managers of money. We're not owners. Everything that comes into your life and in my life is given to us by God Almighty. And we're to manage it according to His will and His wishes and His direction. So we don't own anything. That's really important. It feels like we own it because we earned it, right? But God gave us even the breath to breathe, to get up in the morning, to go to work, and to the intelligence that we have or the education or the job that we've acquired in order that we might make a living. And some of us have made a great living. But all of that comes from God. And we're only managing God's resources. When you have this perspective about money, and this is your mile marker, you're able to be generous and you're able to keep a loose grip on your wealth. You're able to pursue God with your whole heart. And you're able not to become victim, be a victim of being a lover of money, which puts you in danger of being dragged away from the faith. And so money has to have its proper perspective. Here's what Paul says in Philippians. He says, I'm not saying this because I have a need. Paul was talking about money. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Learning to be content. It's a learned skill. We have to teach our children to be happy with and happy without contentment. If you're not careful, and I think this is the danger we've done to our children. Now I can speak for my children. And we've given them a certain lifestyle, anything less than that lifestyle, which they can't provide for themselves at this early age, is a disappointment for them. One of the best things that you can teach your children is the proper role of money. And if you become a victim of more, 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 it'll rob you of contentment. It'll rob you of being grateful for what you have. It'll rob you of joy. And we've got to learn as followers of Jesus Christ how we can be content with what we have. I don't know what drove Vanderbilt to build a 175,000 foot house. This wasn't a trophy. This is where he lived. I don't know what drives a person to do that. But the reality is money drives a lot of people to do crazy 
crazy things. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, your heart is also. So in closing, let me just say this. If you want to have the proper view of money, the mile marker of money, then remember this. Money is a means, not an end. It's something we have to have in order to live, and having a lot of it is not a problem. But what is a problem is how we feel about it and our need for it. So this week, possibly, what you can do is practice contentment. Learn how to be content with what you have. Ask God for what you think you want, but surrender all your desires to Him and He will provide for you. So seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then He'll add all these things to you. If you don't have the proper view of money, it will wreck your life. And you can live your whole life unhappy with what you have because your eyes are on what you don't have. So be careful to have the proper view of wealth. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to tour this mansion. Father, thank you for all that you've given us. We know you're not calling us to poverty, and being poor is very difficult in our culture. So it's not more spiritual to be poor, but we also know it's not more spiritual to be wealthy. So would you just continue to give us your vision on wealth and the pursuit of wealth, that we would pursue you first. And as Paul says, that we'd fight the good fight of faith, that we would not walk away from you because we're pursuing money. I know there are many people in need, real need, as they listen to this sermon today. And I pray that their first priority would be to pursue you, not just pursue what you can do for them. And God, you would provide for all of our needs. May we find ourselves like Paul, learning how to be content, content in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, next week is our last installment of Mile Markers. You don't want to miss that. And in two weeks, we're going to be in person at the Missouri City campus for church services. So check your email and our website for more information on that. I hope you have a great week. God bless you from the Biltmore House.